Best wishes and warmest regards, bingers. I have a very special treat for you today. Sarah Koenig has nothing on this week's guest. You can find her new OC Swingers podcast sitting comfortably in the number one spot on the iTunes charts. She records in a trash room and produces nothing but solid gold content. Please welcome Justine Harmon. The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. It's so nice to meet you, Justine. You too. Thank you for having me. No problem. So you are you're in you're wearing a tank top and looks like you're in sunny California. I am. I am. I was just out running errands and then I saw my face on my screen, which I can't see anymore. I can only see you for some reason, which is better for me because I was like, I look like hell. So I'm glad that this is just an audio <laughs> program. <laughs> see, I purposely minimize myself so I don't see myself. Oh, I stare at myself the entire time, usually. So I only see you. So uh, this is my authentic self. Usually what you're getting on Zoom is just some like gross, vain version of me thinking like, oh, like that looks good. So I'm only seeing you. This is this is the real me. Well, if someone see it, and I'll, I'll probably post like a screenshot from this. Uh, it's like the perfect characterization of the West Coast out in LA, like chilling with your tank top, and then the Michigan guy with the flannel and the beard. Like it's it's perfect. It is perfect. I see those tats. Those are legit. Yeah, I do see that I'm showing a little more chest meat than I meant to be. <laughs> 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 Been a long day. I hear you. We just got a new sponsor that sent me the worst. Do you read your own ad copy? Of course. Uh, oh, that's right. No, I listened to you reading. Because, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I thought you do a really, really good job of reading your ad in the first three episodes I listened well, to. Well, there's only upside to actually, you know, advocating for the product you're trying to shill. So I've tried, yeah, you know, and there are some cool advertisers this round because this is a, like a popular podcast. So I'm getting like cool things that I get to talk about. But thank you. <laughs> yeah. there. So for, for Truth and Justice, we just got a new sponsor uh, this week. Their product is is awesome. They're, it's a great company. But they sent me this. Did you ever get a, a copy when you look at it and you're like, what? Like, it's it's like a four-page yeah. book. Yeah, and they're like a 60-second mid-roll spot. Right. Plug all these things, all these stats, include yeah. a review, give a quick anecdote. Uh, like yeah. In 60 <laughs> yeah. seconds. 60 seconds. Yeah. What I've started to do is actually read each line item as quickly as I can. And then, personally, I actually manually edit out. The spaces, so it's just like I'm like one of those like sales. Oh, I I rewrite a whole script every time I do them because I can't. I used to just read it, but it would my editor hated me for it because I would have like a five minute recording for him to try to clean up into a sixty second ad. But God, this this one was like, we want you to spell our name of our company out at least twice. We want you to say the discount three times. We want you to say your URL three times, which that's 60 seconds right there, and then read all the copy. 
Anyway, yeah. maybe the people listening are interested in this, but it's always fun to talk to other true crime podcasters. Who I like I think actually you cut sent... this part of the program. I'm already like asleep. <laughs> I no, sent... I think it's interesting. It's got to be. I sent our agent uh, just a venting email. I'm like, who the hell got paid to write this copy? Yeah, some of them are really rough. It's a lot of work. I rewrite them too, and um, because I actually find it's more time consuming to try to read it casually like I'm Bill Simmons or something. Like I can never pull that off. And then it's just so much better when I actually research the product, check it out, try it. Um, but it's not like an easy thing. I feel like the ad reads, no one ever tells you like that's going to be like an extra few hours of work each week, which it is. Right. Well, you pull it off beautifully in your in your podcast, the new Thank podcast, you. OC Swingers. I had... Mm-hmm. I reached out to you. We set all this up. I hadn't heard of the podcast. And then it came out and I li- started listening to it. And it was just, just enthralled. Binge through, the, at this point, there's three episodes out. I binge through all three of them immediately. And then I see that I'm not the only one because I saw OC Swinger sitting at like number one on the top of every chart this week. So yeah. you guys are just absolutely crushing it. <laughs> so before we get into the podcast itself, tell me a little bit about you because you've you've been in the you've been in the biz for a little while. You've got a couple other podcasts that you've done that that both hit number one at one point. Um, so can you talk a little bit about your background and how you got into true crime podcasting all the way to OC Swingers, which is just just dominating the space right now. I'm a former magazine editor, and I actually sort of stumbled into the podcast space when I was editing a long form piece when I was the features director at Glamour um, about Jen and Sarah Hart, two women who drove their six adopted kids off a cliff. And this was in 2018. And that podcast did really well um, and sort of was my foray into the space. Um, And then I did another podcast without Glamour. I left Glamour at the end of 2019 and kind of have been making a go at podcasting full time since then. It's been sort of a weird ride because, of course, the you know, coronavirus has changed everything for everyone. But I had just been like, all right, this is my foray into self-employment. Like the opportunities are going to be endless. This is great. Um, And then, of course, nothing happened. Um, And then, (laughs) but right before everything sort of shut down, I had met with a mutual friend had set me up with this guy, Josh McLaughlin, who used to run um, production over at Focus Features. And he'd had an idea for this podcast. I can't even take credit for the idea. That's how unoriginal I am. But he <laughs> mentioned it to me and I was like, that is such a good story. And so at the beginning of COVID, I was at my in-laws house in rural Maryland, taking care of my two small kids who were four and two at the time. And like, feeling like I just quit my cool full-time job to be a stay-at-home mom. And I remembered this idea and was like, let's see if we can do something here. And so I put together the pitch and got it sold. And uh, yeah, that was about a year ago. And now it's number one. So it is kind of like an amazing testament to just putting one foot in front of the next, doing a little bit each day. I mean, I didn't have any time to do it at first because of the situation we found ourselves in. And then things changed. We moved to LA, got a nanny. And uh, yeah, so that's how I ended up here. So, uh, real quick, so your your other two, the one about the the hearts was called uh, the Broken Hearts was the title of that one, right? Broken Hearts, yeah. Yep, and then the other one is uh, the Barton of Botox. Is that right? The Baron Did you mention of that Botox. one? The Baron of Botox. 
I can't read my own handwriting. I have notes. I really do. I'm very professional. <laughs> the Barton of Botox. Yes. <laughs> and I want to know why you named this podcast. So it's a silly name, the Barton of Botox. It doesn't make any sense. It didn't do very well either. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so the Baron of Botox. It did fine. It did fine. Personally, I, you kind of just touched on it. So where are you? Are you originally from Maryland or your husband's originally from Maryland? I'm from D.C. and L.A. I... um my mom was a politician, and she's from L.A., so when she was running for office, we were in L.A., um, and they were really great formative years, and then we went back to D.C. so she could be close. Um, she was in Congress, so she was voting in the Capitol, and I went to high school in D.C., and then I went to college, and then I moved to New York for like 14 years, and we have my husband is from Maryland originally, so we're both very like we grew up forty miles from each other. Um, but we finally fulfilled my lifelong dream of moving to Los Angeles um, last May, and that's where I am now. And this is such a quintessential California story, so I feel connected to it, sort of biologically, but now also I'm close, and so I can like feel the closeness. It's cool to be on the West Coast talking about a West Coast story. It makes it that much more alive, at least for me. Yeah, talk about a kind of a bad time to move to L.A., though, because you moved there last May, so like right in the heart of the pandemic, so you moved to the I town that was... I moved from New York City <laughs> right. to L.A., <laughs> just from the epicenter to the new epicenter, but we have a backyard, and we didn't have that in New York, and uh, everything that people, like, I think it's funny, my friends are like, oh, everyone moved out of L.A., as a result of this, and, you know, people are moving to Boise or to, I don't know, other places with more land. And I'm like, this is a wonderland. I'm in a <laughs> room. Maybe you can see this used to be a trash room. I'm like, a trash room? Amazing. A, a trash room, like where your trash, the trash bins used to be in here. But I just turned it into a podcast studio. See? I've never even heard of such a thing. Should I have a trash room? Probably. I mean, I was like, sold a trash room. That is just excessive. <laughs> um, and now our trash is outside. Where the I said, trash where do you goes. put your trash now? Outside. Like normal people. Outside, you put the trash outside. So I am, the, yeah, I'm the queen of the trash room. This is, this is how you make a number one podcast. <laughs> In that I'm little kidding. space right there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it sounds great. You know, Listen, like meeting you is exactly what I was expecting from listening to you. You have in your in your um, recording of your podcast, like just such a like I don't even know what the word is. It's you have a casualness about you when yeah. you're speaking that I think a lot of and I lack it sometimes even when I'm making my pa podcast. Um, but it's hard you know, when you when you're writing and you're reading a script. It's it's very difficult not to sound like you're reading a script. Um, and when I first listened, I didn't realize that you had been, you, you had made a couple of other podcasts, but I was like, my, who is this woman? <laughs> like, she comes in here like she's Sarah Koenig, just, just, oh, thank just you. Having, these, having these off the cuff, what sound like off the cuff um, narrations yeah. and conversations. It's just, I haven't, I haven't heard, and I, I love a ton of, of true crime podcasts, but I, I honestly haven't heard another true crime podcast that, that the, the production quality grabbed me as much as the first few episodes of OC Swing. I mean, you might shit the bed in the episodes four through seven. Definitely. But, but the first three were fantastic. I was actually, here's a difference in our world. So I was driving a dump truck last week um, in my backyard while I was listening to your podcast. Because I'm, I'm Perfect. Out living out in the sticks, I'm digging a pond in my backyard and I was hauling dirt over to my neighbor's house. It, so in this hillbilly dump truck listening to this 
this case about Orange County and all these yeah. swingers. Being in and a all trash the- room. It all kind of connects, though. <laughs> right. I think the trash room really brings the whole thing together. I'll say. So you said you have you have you have kids. You have one kid, more than one kid. Two, multiple children. Multiple. How old are they? Um, my son will be five at the end of this month, and my daughter is two. Oh, so they're just now getting into the school years. You've got a good five, six years left of enjoying your children before it just all goes downhill when they turn yeah, to be teenagers. Yeah, I am. I am in this sort of weepy mode because I don't think. I think we've kind of decided we're not having another kid, and so my daughter is like outgrowing her. Pinky, and she's about to get rid of diapers, and I'm sort of like, oh, I'm old now. Um, but I think there's something about having a baby. You're like, I'm young, I'm fertile, like things are happening for me, um, and so I'm about to lose my baby, and um, it's sad. Well, there's light at the end of the tunnel because after those those years when they start to really annoy you, number one, you won't miss having a baby anymore because you, yeah, because you, you realize the little terrors they turn into when they get older. But, you know, you love them and you spend time you with them. You love them. You love the babies. But then you start to feel young again because all of a sudden, like, when they're old enough to, like, stay home, you can go on a date with your husband. Yeah, or, that's what know. I'm looking forward to. That's why we did this when we did it. Like, it was before most of our friends. But we were like, we want to have that, you know, be in our mid-40s and be able to go to Greece for a week and still mm-hmm. be, you know, cute enough to enjoy it or whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're thrilled. We're thrilled at the prospect, but now we're kind of in this like purgatory because they are very difficult right now and I don't have a baby anymore, so I'm somewhere between two places. So so you guys bounced around. You went from from coast to coast basically. Well, exactly. You really went from coast to coast. So what is if you don't mind me asking, what does your what does your husband do for a living where he's able to bounce around like that? He works in finance. Oh, so it's something he can do anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think so, but he invests in software, which was obviously a great call um, mm-hmm. because, you know, a lot of people invest in brick and mortar businesses or other things that have totally taken a hit. But software has kind of, you know, been amazing in this pandemic. And he's a partner in a small, let's just talk about my husband's career. Um, he's a partner <laughs> in a small private equity firm. And yeah, he has some serious flexibility as it turned out. Of course, you know, the decade plus we were in New York, the guy's like burning the midnight oil from sunup to sundown. Now we're in LA and he's surfing every day and like has a gym in our garage and has tons of flexibility. So I don't know, <laughs> something weird is happening, but he's- So now you have nowhere yeah. to put your trash or park your cars? Yeah, but the cars also <laughs> go outside. It's amazing. Because <laughs> <laughs> it never rained there, right? So you can just put leave them outside? Everything's outside. Uh, that's not the case here. We have to hide everything in the wintertime because of the feet and feet of snow that we get. Yeah, Michigan was a bad choice. <laughs> well, I grew, I grew up here. I didn't have much of a choice. <laughs> it's beautiful in the summer and the fall. The spring and the winter are terrible. No, I'm just messing around. I, I A friend of mine is from like right here or in here somewhere. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm from like way over here, like yeah. by Chicago. So let's, let's, let's get into this podcast a little okay. bit. So- this ideas ideas presented to you. You start putting it together. Um, did you say that you so you pitch it? Did you pitch it to Audio Chuck or I did? So you pitched it to them, and then Ashley jumped on it or her team. Yeah, actually, I pitched another idea to Ashley first, and she wasn't into it. And I'm so glad that she passed on that because I don't like it anymore either, and I don't even want to talk about it because they think it's just stupid. But <laughs> the rejection of the first idea 
kind of reminded me about this idea and was like, oh, this is a crime. Maybe she'll like this. Um, Mm -hmm. And I put together a little two-page pitch doc and sent it over to her. We'd had an awesome, like, interface like this. I was sitting in my husband's childhood bedroom on his twin-size bed. um, (laughs) And I pitched a show that was terrible. And she was sort of like, it was so nice to meet you. No. Um, And then the next day, I sent her this two-page document. And she was like, yeah, no, that I like. (laughs) So um, that was it. Yeah. Then we just sort of figured out what would work. And um, I sort of spent COVID totally rabbit holing into this case and learning a lot about the legal system because it is, I mean, I have documents everywhere in this trash room. Like there are piles and piles of reporters transcripts and depositions and all kinds of filings and I don't have a law background. I don't know anything about the law. So it was definitely a big, big story. And I've definitely had the opposite where the story was kind of not that big. And I've had to try to make it bigger. This was more of like a winnowing down and finding the things that really were worth talking about as opposed to every little thing because you can get so trapped up in some of the positions that the defense make or, you know, the victims attorneys, people, these lawsuits, these cases, oh my gosh, like just so needlessly twisty and uh, so many red herrings, so many distractions. So, yeah, there, there was a so much to to start with, and then I had to kind of crack out the story. Well, tell us about the case. What what is the, what is the case where you kind of started from? I mean, I didn't really know anything. I just knew that these two people were accused of these egregious crimes, and that the district attorney said there was no evidence, and that he wanted to dismiss them. That's like my point of entry into the story. The timing couldn't have been better. COVID, that sort of really important moment in this case where everyone's convinced it's going to go one way and then it went the other way, um, where the judge said, you know what, not so fast. I don't want to dismiss this. Um, And they wanted to dismiss it for lack of evidence. And a DA proposing to dismiss a case citing lack of evidence, very rarely, um, almost never does a judge say like, no, I'm not down with that. I don't believe you. I want to revisit everything. So I just came into this thing kind of like, okay, let's see what's going on here and realize like, whoa, I'm coming in in the middle, but it's also at a new beginning almost. And so that's where I came in. And then COVID kind of changed the landscape of following a case like this because, yeah, I was in Maryland and then I was in New York briefly and then I was here in this trash room. It wasn't even, it was still a trash room, but you can watch court proceedings on WebEx, like a live stream platform. So I'm in the courtroom watching the judge, you know, from my laptop. It really is a, a, I can never say this word, democratized, democratized. Um, The process of being in a courtroom, you could kind of keyhole into any proceeding if you want to right now. And that just was fortuitous for me because I was able to get permission to record the proceedings and hence a podcast was born. The case is, and I hopefully I'm pronouncing these right, but it's is it Grant uh, Robicho? Is that right? It's Robicho. Robicho, it's right? Robicho, <laughs> like a little more like Shasha. Robicho. You got to choke a little bit when you say it. <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> but uh, so Grant Robicho and uh, um, Sarissa Riley. I'll put you Sarissa, out of your misery. Sarissa you. Riley. The worst part about all this is I. The, my problem is I can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> like I wrote all this stuff down. Um, yeah. So Sarissa Riley, this couple that are are like swingers, 
mm-hmm. which, you know, go do your thing, be a swinger. But sure. they were, uh, they were accused. It started back in what, 2018, the accusations came that they were accused of drugging and raping people as part yes. of their swinging is where it comes in. That's correct. Um, the charges were alleged in January of 2018, but the incidents were stemming from two closed police reports that took place in 2016. They'd been closed and then reopened as part of a larger investigation into them for a ser- there's a, you know, and the, the facts of that and how that came into place and how the case even got in front of the district attorney is part of the podcast. And so we kind of unfurl the process there um, without giving too much away. But it's a really strange, even how the DA found out about these two and got involved in it and, you know, went on to press the charges. You could make a podcast of just all the counter arguments of how this took place and how this took shape, because there's a lot of different ways to see it. And you could say that, you know, there were errors from the beginning in the filing, um, in the way that things proceeded. It's just kind of a mess. It's a messy little situation. Do you feel and I said I, at this point I'm only three episodes in. By the time this episode drops, there will be five, I think, out because you dropped one today that I haven't had a chance to listen to yet. Yeah, there'll be five out by next week. So, but from what I've heard so far, this case seems like it like cuts against everything. Like the Me Too movement has has like all the ground that has tried to be gained over these these past few years. Mm-hmm. It, almost to the point where I started when I was listening to him, like this must be you know 2010 it must be but, yeah. but it's happening like now in the and listening to some of the recordings you played where the recordings in the in the reports where you know these women are essentially being blamed yeah. for being raped because right. they had too much to drink or they yeah put themselves in a situation or something like that can you speak a little bit to that like was it how do you feel like this relate that plays into this case and is that is it is it an overarching theme of the of the season of OC swingers or is it just this little bit that I've heard? No, it absolutely is. I mean, I think even in telling this story, and I do come down pretty hard on the politics of Orange County in the first episode, and that has really sparked ire. I mean, if you look at the comments or if you look at my DMs, um, people are filleting me for the political slant uh, or the perceived political slant because I. I actually, I like I drafted these tweets and I'm not sending them because I just I don't want to <laughs> stoke the fires further. But I think what you're saying is sort of, I mean, it's 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 obvious um, that this case, the women, the victims in this case have been treated like shit and called names by the prosecutor whose job it is to defend people who find themselves in situations like this. I mean, we get into that more actually episode five, which you said will air by the time this airs is all about the DA and kind of how he's handled this. This is a man who says that he co-authored Marcy's law, which is um, a constitutional amendment affording victims of crimes protections. He's the co-author of this simultaneously apologizing to the defendants and lambasting the women, seven women who came forward and alleged these crimes occurred. And saying, yeah, you're slut shaming them and saying that they're not credible for X, Y, and Z reason and really gets in the weeds about what's wrong with each of these women, all the choices they made or all the things they said that um, contradict what they said happened. And all of these things that we can understand as humans in the world who 
negotiate with human politics, we can understand how some of these things can happen. And there's shame and there's drugs and there's alcohol, which is, you know, changing the memory of this thing or causing these issues, but saying it like it's black and white. And I think that that after Me Too, when we've sort of all decided, okay, we get that this is complicated. We get that two people can have very different renderings of what occurred, but let's discuss why that is and where this happens. You know, college campuses in places overrun with male privilege, privilege uh, places where people of color don't have voices. These things keep happening. So then to try to remove it from the political system and say, no, no, this this has nothing to do with that, I think is wrong. And honestly, I think it's an intimidation method to keep certain social contracts in place. And so I, I think the entire season is supposed to show, at least the way I see it, and I could be wrong, but how far we do have to come and how, yeah, um, what is the word? Um, anachronistic this this case is because it does feel old. It feels like it's satire in some ways. I can't believe that it went down this way or that it's continuing to go down this way. And I think the language, I mean, we we say that it's changed and it's evolved and we're post Me Too and everything's gravy and it's not. I mean, this just happened. This is happening. So I think it's really important. And I have come to that conclusion through learning more about the case. And it's not the other way. It's not like, oh, I'm putting a narrative or a slant on it to make it more palatable in a certain way. Like this is, these are the facts as they've presented themselves to me. And that's the shape of this thing. And I think it's abhorrent. And I think it really is a product of a place where certain values are upheld over other ones. And I have gone on for 37 minutes. Is the show over? <laughs> no, like I'm like, I want to talk about the show, but I'm like this, I'm so like passionate about this topic that I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated yeah. by it. I'm hanging on every word because it like this show is, I felt this way for a long time, which is easy. I don't do polit my politics publicly. All I'll say is that I am staunchly independent you. and don't like either party in being in that position. I see a lot of what you're talking about where it's like we have these, you know, Me Too is so important. It is so important to give these women a voice and to be believed. And it can't only be when it's someone we don't like that is being accused. For sure. I, I saw, like, I had, I, I, again, I don't want to get into the policy, but, but the fact that you have one, two presidential candidates running who have both had vicious claims of sexual assault alleged against them. Yeah. And then the people that like this guy just ignore his stuff and then support him. And the same thing happens over here. And I just see people that are very in support of this movement, you know, that, that I mean, tr I, I'll say this, I think I really don't like Trump at all. Um, yeah. And so it's real easy Watch to. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like that. Now you said I'm, it. I'm, I'm already crying. I guarantee you my editor right now, Mike, is like, mm -mm, mm -mm, Bob, shut up. But it's just, it, it frustrates me because I feel like for there to be movement forward in this movement and to make real difference, we have to stop dividing by party loyalty or by political ideology or by class, by everything. Like, like call a spade a spade. If someone is sexually assaulting women, they need to be put it down and put in their place for that, regardless of whether they are on the same team that you like and that and what, what i haven't gotten to yet in this podcast and i don't know if, it, if this comes up or if you can speak to it a little bit is 
What the hell? I mean, so this this Grant Robichaux, he's a he's a he's an orthopedic sur or um, is he a plastic surgeon or orthopedic surgeon? Orthopedic surgeon. Some people tweeted recently that he's a plastic surgeon. He's not. He's a orthopedic surgeon and largely extremities. So he would fix like fingers and hands and wrists and ankles and shoulders and things like that. Yeah, and and he'd been on some some reality TV, I think, along the way. Yeah. But like, yep. why that? Like, I I I'm baffled by why he is getting a pass. Why this? Why the DA is working? I mean, to me, it seems like they're working hard to protect him, and he and his his girlfriend seem to be monsters. I think they're more of a symbol than actual protectable entities. Like, I I mean, I definitely think there are some shady things that happen in the case. I don't have all of the information. I'm not privy to the discovery that the defense is or the prosecution is. I don't know everything. Everything I know is in the podcast. But... I don't think it's about them so much. Like people have suggested to me, like maybe they were massive political donors to the current DA and that's why. And I don't think it's that because I mean, I've searched for political donations or affiliations. I don't see anything like that. I mean, I'm not, I, I, I'm not Woodward. I'm not Bernstein. Like I'm not, you know, uncovering these big truths, but I think it's more just like they got caught in these political crosshairs and it may very well get them off because they represent something and People are having a really hard time sticking these crimes on them. And I do think it's something you kind of touched on about how, like, how we protect these people that we love or we think are attractive or have, you know, I've watched the Woody Allen Mia Farrow doc and it's the same oh God, kind of I thing. Just saw like, that too. We don't want this beautiful couple to be serial rapists. That's far fetched. That's crazy. And their defense is also kind of ludicrous. Like, we just party i mean or maybe people do i don't know i like to go out i like to have fun i went to college i don't know anyone who willingly takes ghb because it's less caloric than booze i mean if you drink tequila like you're probably pretty good like you don't need to <laughs> yeah. i just think the notion of 110 liquid grams of the date rape drug and just being like what we like to party like i don't get it but that's why it's interesting because people are like no they're swingers and everyone's like yeah yeah swingers like what's what yeah, I, I, so like this is it's a hot topic for me. I've had some some personal experience with people that I'm kind of close to that have been through this. That have you know teenage girls that that I'm close to that have said you know someone was harassing them at work and they were like oh but I was flirty like making th they're making excuses for why of course defending their behavior and trying to and I have a 15 year old daughter and it's just like like shit like this infuriates me because like I I want her to know growing up that like I don't care how much you've had to drink. Or if you did drugs, or if you put yourself in a situation that it's still never okay for someone to rape you. Like that's never your fault. They're not supposed in in these, especially in a place that is as progressive as L.A. At least on the surface. But Orange County is not L.A. Yeah, not not L.A. I meant Orange, Orange County, but yeah. And I guess I guess I think you you did bring this up in the podcast that there's it's they say it's kind of more of a conservative little outlier of outside of LA but to, to to handle this case this way is just it's just making the problem so much worse cuz you already have these predatory people out there mostly men in this case a man and a woman that are out there uh, doing these things but then the bigger problem is they keep getting away with it because we're beating into these girls heads that yeah sure is it's like is this 19 when i was listening i was like is this 1975 it's like watching the documentary on the golden state killer with the like the 
Did you did you watch that when they were you know mm-hmm. th- they showed the old like 1970s press releases? They're like, well, don't dress inappropriately and don't yeah. walk in an alley. This is your fault if you do this. It's. it's I just think a lot of people still feel that way. I mean, I think people of all genders and affiliations ultimately see a girl in a short skirt and a spray tan, you know, with a handsome doctor or whatever, and are like, you know what you're doing. And I don't think that that's, I think saying that and presenting that just kind of like, let's admit it, like, and then let's figure it out. People are very offended by that statement or the suggestion. And I think it comes into, you know, not that that's what you're saying, but, you know, as the father of daughters and all that posturing and all of the language, like, we very much just put a Band-Aid on this thing, called it Me Too, and we're like, okay, that's done. Let's move to the next thing. And I don't think we are anywhere close to feeling like women who find themselves in a situation have a good exit from the narrative that they didn't even want to be a part of. Like, right? T- you take part in this criminal investigation. Your name is, well, it's not your name, but your reputation is drug through the, I just, there is no, there is no tidy wrap up to this. Like, this is symptomatic of such a larger problem and one that is so utterly American and based on our puritanical, you know, formative belief structure that I think has really informed a lot of our gender dynamics. And, you know, I am a woman, so I feel like I get to say that because I know what I'm talking about. Like, I went to college, I got treated like shit by men, like. Mm-hmm. It is so universal, but the defensiveness with which that is received by most people, not most people, but a large swath of people is it's confounding for sure. Cause you're like, I'm not saying anything that's not obvious, but it, it is a third rail hot button topic and I am feeling the heat for sure. Well, uh, I'm sure you also just as much have, have way more support than you're, yeah. than you're getting heat. At least I hope that's the case. Cause I know like that, that was. Besides the production, besides the interesting story, like that was, this is something and it's, especially in like this political climate, it's hard to really, to voice something, especially as a man, as a man, yeah. you know, like what that, and, and with good reason, like, what do I know? I'm, you know, I'm just looking at things from my perspective. No, but I think like that is also a posture, like Josh, my producer, you know, he's like, well, I can't tell this story and yeah, probably not. But like, I also am like, I think it's cool that you're talking about it. I think it's cool that like. Josh was interested in this story for that reason. Like, I think it's so scary, especially to men, these kinds of stories that they'd rather just be like, I can't touch that. I don't want to be near it. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to piss people off. I mean, I don't want to piss people off. Like, no one wants to piss people off. But uh, I think it's cool that you're willing to kind of confront it and talk about it and kind of grapple with it. And hopefully more men are. COVID has allowed me to piss more people off because prior to COVID, my producer would be sitting right here, and he'd be the one going careful. But he's not here to to tell me to to calm myself down. Yeah. But it, but you know what I was getting at is like I've I've been watching this and always trying to figure out a way to articulate and, and have anybody give a shit what I have to say about it. Exactly what we were talking. Exactly what you're demonstrating in this case is that like the Me Too movement didn't solve the problem. It was a beginning. It got some awareness. But if we're if, but if we're going to solve the problem or at least cut closer to a, a solution, yeah. there needs to be some consistency. There needs to be everybody needs to be called on the on the carpet. Yeah, I will say this um, as someone who is who is is does not cannot stand Donald Trump. I also 
like I don't forget Tara Reid and Joe Biden. It, it makes me sick when I see people saying what a great guy he is. Like he has seven accusers himself. And as long as we are saying that's okay because he's part of my party and he's yeah. or he's better than him, which sure, I mean, that's not hard to do. He's better than him, but he's so because of that, I'm going to put him up on a pedestal that like that to me, that just cuts the legs out of the movement and, and where it needs to go. Like it just needs to be just this broad wave of, you know, anybody, this is not acceptable. Yeah. And it's like, it's like you took this story that has that narrative on a smaller scale and dissected it in a way that I think people can really, really digest. In, in a way that they can maybe understand it more. I hope it serves as a parable or something. Like, I obviously am not perfect. I will make mistakes and say it the wrong way, or someone will listen to this podcast and maybe, I, you know, I accidentally said the wrong thing and it's triggering. And I am like willing to wade through all of that, or I'm getting comfortable with the notion of it. If someone will listen to it and be like, oh, I kind of get what she's saying. Okay. Like, and I think there's a lot, there's a whole like cottage industry of stories that are helping us do that, whether it's I Care A Lot or um, Promising Young Woman, which I think has a lot of similarities here. Like, it is not a fun thing to talk about, sexual assault. Um, so if it comes in like a shiny wrapper and feels a little bit more like candy while it's going down, then I think that's a good thing. You can tro Trojan horse this stuff in there. and get people to think about it, at least disarm them first so that they don't feel defensive from the beginning. And maybe I'm not doing it perfectly, but that I hope is something that a podcast can do because that's just, I don't know, that's cool. Um, and I hope that it does that because it's definitely made me think a lot more about some of the things I held as core beliefs as a woman in this country and my own college experience and when people would bring their stories to me, like personal friends, women I cared a lot about would tell me things that happened to them. And I was sort of like, ah, that's inconvenient or that's not fun to talk about or mm -hmm. no, that person seems like a great guy. You're crazy. All that stuff. Like it's just been a, it's been a, it's been a heady year. Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure we'll probably both take, so I bet I get more heat for this, for this than you do. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. We'll but see. I have this thing Let's where I just don't read the comments and then it's all fine. I just ignore it and move on to, to the next one. I read them. But but I, I really admire what you're doing. And, and I know we kind of went off on my tangent and soapbox, but I think it's, it's it's an integral part of what makes OC Swingers so special. Thanks. And I think everybody needs to go check it out. I'm looking forward to tonight. My uh, On the treadmill tonight, I'll be listening to episode four and I'll have heard episode five before it drops again. Mm -hmm. um, that one drops next this drops next Wednesday. So by what next Wednesday, you'll there will only be four episodes out. So the one that dropped today was three, and four will drop Monday. Oh, was, did I hear a trailer? Okay. Well, I do like the next time on OC Swingers, and then you get a little. Oh right, taste. right, right. Oh, so I heard <laughs> this is three, and then by next week will be episode episode four drops next Monday, and then this will air two days after that. So the the podcast, how many episodes are we going to get? There's going to be eight in-season episodes, but there are going to be two bonus episodes, and I haven't kind of figured out what the content will be just yet because I'm waiting for a development in the case. Mm -hmm. um, and so if something really interesting happens or we get some sort of resolution, maybe that will change. But right now, the idea is eight episodes um, to tell the story and then two kind of after 
reflect. I don't know what they're going to be yet. So two bonus episodes, TBD, um, but eight and then two postseason kind of pieces. But I don't know what they are yet. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Her name is Justine Harmon. The podcast is OC Swingers. It's easy to find. It's right there at the top of all the iTunes charts right now. <laughs> Justine, thank you so much for joining me. I've really enjoyed the conversation. You too. I this has been fun. I'm like, we're done. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to keep them keep them close here. I thought I was supposed to share a secret. I was like, uh, I hated oh. Citizen Kane. I always so wait a minute. So I forgot that that was in the one cheater. What's your secret? I was like, the first thing that came to mind was that I didn't understand Citizen Kane. I didn't know like <laughs> why that was a popular movie. I like didn't enjoy it. I still don't get it. Uh, like. I feel like a clown, but I watched it and was like, this? this <laughs> Everybody likes this? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, kind of. That was my secret. I was like, that's good. That's like sort of funny, but not offensive. So that's it. <laughs> right. It's funny that you said, so that's, I, I put that in there because I never know when I get into conversation, if we'll have enough conversation to talk about. And then yeah. it's just like a backup plan. And obviously For I didn't sure. need it today, but you're the first person to say, wait a minute, you told me to buy this. <laughs> I want to share my <laughs> totally soft serve secret that offends no one. Well, you got it. Well, you heard it here first. Justine Harmon does not understand Citizen Kane, uh, but she makes a great podcast. So go check out OC Swingers. It's going to be your next true crime binge. I guarantee it. Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.